Welcome back to another episode of Legally Unfiltered. I'm attorney Richard Sprinkle here with attorney Franz Borkhardt. And tonight we have a special guest in the studio. We have Ben Dampf of the Whaley Law Firm. And Ben is an expert in dealing with insurance companies after tragedy strikes, after Mother Nature comes and dumps all over you. Ben's the kind of guy you call. Ben's worked both for the insurance companies and both for plaintiffs. And given the circumstances, given the fact that our friends up in the Northeast, in North Carolina, Virginia, uh, now New York, and pushing all the way up into the, the Northeast Corridor, have dealt with so much rain, so many problems. Uh, you know, guys, we're, de- we're from the Gulf South. We're kind of used to it, unfortunately. It's become a regular occurrence. But after a storm like this, you're going to need help. You're going to need to know certain things. And folks, Ben has helped a lot of people, and he's here to talk with us tonight more about what you can do to not get hosed. We're very excited to have Ben here tonight. And and listen, folks, if you take nothing else away from this episode, um, you need a a Ben in your corner, so to speak. Wow. Uh, when when the poop hits the fan, uh, when you either are preparing for a disaster or when a disaster hits. And you, you're in that pivotal moment. And we're going to ask Ben in a little bit about what do you do to avoid getting screwed. Um, we're also going to ask him about what happens when you have been screwed and what you kind of do. So, Ben, that's that's quite a build-up, man. I was, was going to say, guys, thank you all <laughs> kindly. That is one heck of an introduction, Richard. Thank you. Uh, so, yes, yeah, as Richard mentioned, and to echo here, I mean, we know a lot about it, unfortunately. And, and it's, it's topical again, as it tends to be this time of year. So, happy to share my experience with you guys and – uh, answer any questions that you have and hopefully help some people out there. So let's let's start with the basic one. What are the common things that in preparing for a disaster, whether a hurricane or otherwise, what are the common things that people n- make mistakes on and things that they need to know in preparation? Right. So so great question. And um, I guess it kind of depends on what specific time frame you're talking about, because the best thing to do is look and know what kind of insurance you have before the storm hits. Um, Obviously, uh, if we're talking about a a flood situation and we're worried about a FEMA policy, the the FEMA policy takes 30 days to bind. So if you see a storm coming, you can't run out and get flood coverage. So it really starts, you know, two months, three months, when you buy the house, whenever, make sure you've got flood coverage, make sure you've got homeowners coverage uh, to protect you because obviously, you know, you don't know if it's which one's coming and we'll, we'll talk about the differences in the insurance later, but uh, it's something that you really can't start preparing enough on the front end about what kind of insurance you have. So what you're saying is after you, you dodge a bullet or after you're the victim of a bullet, it's probably the most common time when people realize, okay, I need to have this kind of insurance now. I, I can't tell you how many people came to us after the flood or after um, after a hurricane and said, hey, what do you mean I don't have flood insurance? And and unfortunately, I mean, that is a brutally tough conversation to sit down with somebody and explain to them that, hey, you've got homeowners coverage that doesn't, you know, doesn't cover you for a flood event. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 always um, a good time, whatever jogs your memory. Uh, whatever kind of, you know, if you're type A and you're on it from the get go, if it takes something bad happening to you or a neighbor, um, you know, dig into the dig into the policies and figure out what you've got. Well, and aren't there and I don't mean to interrupt, Franz, but aren't there times even when, you know, you're not worried about the 30 day mark, but for FEMA, but for homeowners insurance, aren't there times when the, the carriers simply won't even write a policy during seasons? Yeah. I mean, again, 
depending on sort of the risk that is that is being asked to be insured, um, you may run into a situation where, hey, a storm is coming and you try to go insure a, a big commercial building and, and they're not going to let you do it. And so, um, you know, the best time to, to start worrying about those is, is prior to a, a catastrophic, horrible event happening. That's a, that's a good hypothetical. Let's say, for example, I know they're building a new big commercial structure next to the one we're in. Uh, and the old rule in New Orleans was if a storm was in the Gulf, all the insurance companies said, forget it, we're not doing anything. What do you do in that case? If, you, if, you're, if you're a builder or, or you're a, a, an owner that's having something built and, you know, they've just poured the slab, you're getting ready to start slapping up walls and lo and behold, something blows up in the Gulf. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that is an awful situation to be in. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd tell you two things. One, um, shop because you may pay – a whole bunch in premiums, but there in a commercial setting, there may be a situation where you can you can find somebody to write some coverage. Um, but other than that, I mean, yeah, you get in a situation where where insurance isn't available, and and you're kind of hoping it misses you. Um, obviously, you don't want to be there. No, um, no. I mean, it seems like the only thing you could potentially do is just a, a work shutdown until things blow on by, so to speak. But then you're still risking anything you've put up at that point. Sure. And, and, and maybe, uh, I, I don't know if your question is trying to get at in terms of um, sort of not necessarily an insurance coverage related question. What can you do in terms of uh, boarding up and, and letting, letting your employees go or, or evacuating? But I mean, all of those steps are, are certainly, you know, whenever you hear that a storm's coming, uh, now's not the time to go try to get insurance coverage. Now's the time to start boarding up the house and, and making sure you've got a place to go and, and that sort of thing. Well, let, let's talk about that. Let's say under scenario one, you're you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. You you have all the types of insurance you need. What do you recommend to that individual or that whether whether commercial or residential? What are the things those individuals that have good insurance? What do they need to be thinking about? Do they need to do any kind of prep work? What responsibilities do they have so that the insurance that they do have can be used on the back end? Yeah. So the thing that you hear. Um, is take as many photos as you can. And let me, let me give you all a quick, a quick real-life example. Uh, we represented somebody after the flood of 2016. And these, these folks were flooded. They lived in San Amon, which, as you all know, was, was hit really, really hard. Um, they took so many pictures prior to the flood that afterwards, when they had some insurance issues, and believe it or not, their, their flood insurance carrier denied coverage and it was it was a a really weird case but one of the huge things that allowed us to resolve it well for them were the photographs that they took before before the flood and so it's it's you see it there the other time you see it is that you know if if something horrible happens and there is a um you got to make a contents claim and what a contents claim is is You've got insurance that provides coverage for the things in your house, clothes, couches, electronics, those sorts of things. You know, after you evacuate and depending on how bad the storm is, you tend to start focusing on how do I get back in my house? And it's easy to forget what you had in your house. And so whenever you're going back through to make, you know, to list out for for an insurance company, what was in my house? What do you guys need to repay me for, it's nice to have those pictures to go back and, and help you remember. So document, photograph, all in advance of the storm. What do you do, you know, you kind of brought it up, 
and I know it's what you do for a living. What do you do with an insurance company that's not living up to what they're supposed to be doing? Are there such things as bad faith claims against insurance when it deals with, you know, catastrophic damage and, and paying out on that? I mean, we think of, you know, Richard and I are just simple, simple attorneys. We think of <laughs> bad faith in terms of, you know, the car accident, you know, or, or personal injury. Are there such things in, in your, your your realm of law? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. And um, so to, to kind of break that down, um, the first distinction is it's important to know what type of insurance claim we're talking about. Um, for example, a hurricane that causes wind damage to your home, there is... We have Louisiana statutes, and I know y'all probably have listeners that are outside of Louisiana, so I don't want to speak to those. God, I hope we do. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in in Louisiana, we have uh, statutes that set forth the rules. And a first-party insurer, meaning me making a claim under my insurance policy, uh, my insurance company owes me uh, certain duties, and they're defined by statute. And we've got two of them in Louisiana, and violation of those statutes, whether it be uh, a failure to timely investigate, a failure to issue a payment within a certain period of time. Uh, we have things that our legislature has given us to keep the, keep the insurance companies in check. So, so certainly there are situations where if you, look, we, we tell our clients, especially after a hurricane, after a flood, I'm sorry that you need me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it would certainly would be great if the insurance companies would do the right thing for you the first time around. And, and many times they do. But for those who aren't that fortunate, uh, there's things that the law allows to sort of um, encourage them to, to speed up the claim and to do things right. Um, now, if we're talking about a flood insurance claim, um, there's, there's no bad faith when we're talking about the federal government. Okay. So uh, with you know, back to the 2016 floods in the Baton Rouge and Louisiana areas. Um, there's nothing you can threaten the government with in terms of, hey, you, you got to do the right thing within 30 days or 60 days or else we want penalties and attorney's fees. Well, that instills optimism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I guess the other question I have is, and, and again, I'm Richard, I, I'm thinking from this from the standpoint of we I've been very fortunate to where we have never had catastrophic catastrophic damage in, in my house or my family members' houses, knock on wood. I married a New Orleans girl, so, so you know, she has a different perspective. But talk about time frames because that, I think, is the most, the, the, the thing that, that spawns the most frustration other than contractor fraud, which I definitely want to talk about, is realistic time frames with regard to, you know, you said you want to get back in your house. You know, and you've got this 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 state of an emergency. The hurricane comes and goes, and and there's there's total damage across the board in a city, a town, whatever, in a state. What you know? How do you get a feel for reasonable time frames? You know, clearly next day service is not necessarily anticipated, or maybe it is. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you'd you'd be lucky to have next day service. For okay, sure, for okay. sure. Um, so. Again, what do you want to? I think I think the question you're getting at is is what's the game plan for post disaster? Well, well, not just that, but okay, you're in an island unto yourself. You have no, you know, outside of what the government is telling you or what news is telling you. If you've never been through this, you have no point of comparison other than the frustration of immediate gratification. So, so how do you get a feel for? Hey, this is the way the process is supposed to be working versus. Hey man, this insurance company or, or is not making a claim in a time, and, I, and I'm not talking federal government and where's my my trailer. I'm talking like it's been two weeks. Sure, you know sure. what should I expect at two weeks? What should I expect at a month? 
you know, and so on and so forth. Right. So um, that question is tough to answer because it depends on what type of storm we're talking about. Okay. So the the flooding in 2016 in Louisiana uh, was so widespread that nobody had the resources to get to everybody quickly. And so unfortunately, you know, well, if you got, if you were lucky, maybe you got, you know, service, somebody out there within a week or 10 days. Uh, some folks, unfortunately, took longer than that. Uh, you saw that uh, in Superstorm Sandy, for example, where, you know, there just was such widespread devastation that uh, you couldn't, you couldn't realistically uh, expect, and most people didn't get a, res- a, a quick response. Um, so that it sort of depends on, on what kind of storm we're talking about. So, so basically you need to look to your left, look to your right, look about what's going on around you. Um, follow-up question to that, of course, is what I observed during the flooding in Baton Rouge was a lot of homeowners. They took a lot of photos and then they just started to go to work. They gutted their houses. Um, I don't know if the insurance companies were advising them to do that, or if that was just a, Hey man, I'm seeing my neighbors do the same thing. I need to do that. Talk a little bit about, okay, you've got the insurance. You're, you've got massive amounts of damage. You know, do you need the go ahead from the insurance company before you can start doing things on your own? Should you wait? What's the protocols on that? Yeah. So, um, again, what, the first step is, is, is back to the photographs, right? Okay. So document everything, take, take photographs before you start mitigating your damage before you start ripping out sheetrock, uh, before you start throwing, throwing your contents on the side of the road. Once you've done that and once you've taken, I mean, take all the photographs you think you need and then take 50% more. Okay. Once you've done that, once you've contacted either your insurance agent, um, once you've contacted um, the insurance company, the adjuster that has been assigned to your case, the first thing you'll do is, is hopefully get a claim number, right? And once, once you get a claim number is, and, and that's your specific claim number for, for whatever happened to your, to your property, uh, you'll be assigned an adjuster and that'll be your point of contact. And so anything that that person tells you, you want to get it in writing, um, you know, hopefully they'll communicate with you some in, in via email or, or letter. Uh, the first thing they'll let you know is, is okay, you've taken some photographs, go ahead and start. Uh, you know, start doing what you need to do. We'll have an adjuster there in whatever time frame they can get somebody. Uh, so I think I think that's important. Uh, again, it sort of depends on what kind of devastation we're talking about. Uh, if it's a tornado, for example, we don't we don't get too many tornadoes down here. But if it's a event that hits a, a smaller area, you may the the insurance company may say, hey, we'll have an adjuster there tomorrow. That's that, nice. that could happen. Um, with hurricanes and flooding, it tends to be a much a much wider um, wider zone of damage. So um, so that that's an issue. And again, back to sort of look to your left, look to your right. Um, that's that's kind of the way it goes. But you need to document it. So don't don't just kind of rely on okay, yeah, rip this out or, or go ahead and do this. Say you know I'm happy to do that. I want to mitigate my damage. I want to get back into my home as quickly as I can. But I need you to confirm. Hey, I've got coverage. I've got coverage for this, and and you've got my approval to start to start moving forward. And I guess in the world we live in now, on the one hand, you're you're in the moment. You're 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 going through a lot of stuff, but in the world we live in to now, documenting has to be you're tremendously easier. 
Uh, we have cell phones that are high pixelated devices. You know, uh, you can make video, you can do photos, you know, you can have Uncle Bob standing next to something to give you point of reference. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that's all good wisdom. Um, I guess the, the, the other two questions I have and, 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 and Richard, I'm just, I'm firing off questions cause I'm, I'm curious. Um, the other two questions I have are about, you know, what are your tips to avoid getting screwed? And then let's talk contractor fraud. Cause that's the other end of this, right? That that's what I'm looking for. That was, that made the news tonight. Uh, there's an individual here in Baton Rouge who is on numerous Numerous uh, accounts of contractor fraud mm-hmm. stemming from the 2016 floods. Um, people get screwed. I mean, I've I've taken calls from people that have gotten screwed by contractors. You probably have. I know Ben has. Um, what, what do you do to avoid this? Yeah, it, it's tough. And, and I'll even take it a, a step backwards. Uh, contractor fraud, in most instances, means you know who the guy was. You can find him. And they've got a number that works, mm-hmm. hopefully. Unfortunately, what we see a lot of times is folks coming in and kind of fly by the night and, and hey, we'll, we'll come in and we will remediate your house and we'll rip the drywall out and we'll start your flood cleanup. And they won't, they won't have a contract. They won't be any, any way to get in touch with them. And so you, you hand over a check to somebody uh, or you pay cash thinking, hey, I'm trying to get ahead of the game and, and get back into my house, and they're long gone. And, and so, you're, and those, you're praying on, and essentially what you have is you have folks that are preying on that anxiety and, and urgency, that internal urgency that you alluded to earlier of wanting to get back into your house. It's the urgency. I watched this myself with my own eyes after Katrina. Somebody would come down the truck, uh, come down the street in a pickup truck with a magnetic sign on the side saying, "I'll do your sheetrock work." And people would run out the door with their checkbook in their hand like the ice cream man was coming. They just wanted to get the work done. And the, the, the anxiousness overrode, you know, any thought of common sense of like, let, let me check this guy out. Let me call the Better Business Bureau. Let me see their license. Let me see their insurance. People aren't thinking about that. They're just, so what are, get me in the and, and, and sorry to jump in, Richard. I mean, from a lawyer's perspective, that's a brutal conversation to have. Oh, it's oh yeah. To tell it your client, awful. look, I know you got screwed. And I know you've got insurance, but I can't get the insurance company to pay for it. And and I don't blame them. They don't owe you just because you didn't do your homework and you didn't you didn't. So what's the checklist? What is the checklist for those listening out there? You know, and it's not always common sense intuitive, but what's the checklist of things? Contractor shows up at your door. He or she is looking to make to to, to make a little bit of money and, and fix up your, your house or your damage. What's the checklist? What do you need to know? What do you need to get from that contractor? What do you need to be prepared to 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 do when that contractor starts, during, and then after? Yeah. So so the first thing that I would do is call the state license, licensing board, and you can find out really quickly if if the person is licensed and bonded. And so um, a lot of times, what you'll find after the flood is is people working under. Hey, I'm working under my brother-in-law's license, or I'm working under a friend's license. I wouldn't let him. I wouldn't. I wouldn't let him work on my house. You know. So that's one check. It's it's easy to do. You know, pick up the phone and figure out if this individual has the license that they're telling you that they have. And what does that mean? And, and, and again, we're. I know we know the answer to the question, but but for the listeners, what does that mean? Licensed and bonded. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, luckily in, in Louisiana, to be a contractor, you have to have a license from a state licensing board. 
And that board is responsible for making sure that these folks are, are responsible and can say that they, they can do what they say they're going to do. Um, and so it's, it's one of the times when um, you sort of, you know, they're not going to guarantee that the work is going to be is going to be wonderful. They're not going to guarantee that they're going to call you back one time, but they can tell you, hey, this person has a, has a real license that we've issued, which means they have met some of the bare minimum requirements that, that we need. So what about, okay, so the contractor is licensed and, and bonded. So in terms of paying them, so what are things you need to think about before you start doling out money? Because fraud happens from both licensed and bonded contractors and, and non. You know, what are the things you need to think about? What's standard? What is, you know, and, and I say standard in light of the fact that this is a, a volatile situation. To a certain degree, they're, they're probably charging a premium to, to get out there and, and do stuff sooner rather than later. What is industry standard for that? I mean, I, I know you can't speak for all the contractors, but but you know what is the what is the scratch and sniff test, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, uh, to your point, pricing. Look, I, I'm I'm not a, an expert on what contractors right. can charge, and, and truthfully, after the flood, you will probably pay a little bit more than than you would otherwise, and and that's just kind of part of it. Um, but what you can do to make sure that you're getting somebody who's going to follow through is is get them to write out a detailed estimate for the work to be performed. And, um, you know, it's great if it comes on letterhead. It's great if it's broken down into different um, sort of different events, meaning, you know, it's going to cost X number of dollars for me to come in and, and demolish. It's going to cost Y number of dollars for me to come in and, and refinish and rip up the floors. It's going to cost this for, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so that's something that I'd want to get up front. The, the second part of it, and, and you may have been hinting at it, is you don't have to pay them all up front, right? I mean, I discourage you. You know, I would strongly I encourage you to say, look, we'll pay you to get started. And then at some point, we want to come in and walk through with you and see what's been done and what hadn't. And then we'll give you some more money. And then, you know, have a, have a third checkpoint of, all right, we're 75% done. We'll release this, you know, 80% of the funds. And then, and then we'll sort of take that approach. Um, do, do insurance companies ever step in and, and make those checks? In other words, uh, you know, checks on the work being done, see if 25% of the work's done, so we'll give you 25% more money kind of thing. I know the, the federal government was doing that after Katrina with the SBA loans. Like you had to show X amount of work was done, and then they would hand out some more money kind of thing. Do insurance companies ever step in and do that? Yeah, so mortgage companies, sure. That, that's a very common practice for a mortgage company to – want to protect their loan and their interest in the property by making sure that somebody is actually using the money to repair to repair the home. Uh, and so it's, it's very common for them to say, hey, we'll, we'll give you 50% now. If you want additional money, you've got to prove to us that you're making the repairs that, that you say you need. Um, from the insurance company perspective, um, what, you, what you may see is, is you may get, you know, some money up front and you they may say look we're going to give you ten thousand dollars up front just to get started we don't have an adjuster that we can send out now but here's ten thousand dollars to to get it demolished to call serve pro to sort moving in the right direction and then they'll send out an adjuster sort of whenever they can um to to prepare an estimate of the damage there there are some contractors out there that are very reputable they do the right thing they do the right thing by their their customers and then there's the other breed 
of, of, of contractor where they, they just don't understand that you cannot rob Peter to pay Paul and, and they function that way. And then the, the sad part is, is in the criminal justice system, when they are finally charged with contractor fraud, it's like squeezing blood out of a turnip. They don't got any money. Nope. And, and you know, the, the satisfaction of them possibly going to pokey for a little bit pales in comparison of, hey, I just wanted my house fixed. I wanted, I wanted to be able to move back in. I wanted to have four walls that were safe. So it's definitely something that, that, that you need to be vigilant about. And, and look, I tell, I tell customers, clients all the time, um, you know, in the vein of documenting, I tell them, get a notebook, write everything out. You know, if you're ever in doubt, stop the person, the contractor, and say, look, you said this. Does this mean X, Y, and Z? Write it down. Date it. Um, some of them, I have co- clients that have recorded the conversations with the contractors, um, which has boded well for them. So, um, yeah, that's it's just, a, it's just a scary, it's so predatorial, but, but in the same breath, there are contractors that, that fit that need. They come in from out of state sometimes, you know, and, and they fit that need, and they don't screw people. So it's, it's a tough tightrope because, you know, look, somebody comes in from out of state. How do you verify whether or not they're legit or not legit? So, I mean, and, and that's a legitimate question. Sure, I mean, I mean, sure. Because I know there's Louisiana contractors going up to the Carolinas right now. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. A yeah. lot have gone up. So do you check Do you check the state they're maybe coming from? I mean, what, what can you do about that? Yeah, you, you can absolutely. You can, you can check the state that they're coming from. Um, you can... Typically, what will happen is is a contractor may go and get three or four houses in a particular neighborhood. And so go check with your neighbors and say, hey, uh, you know, my contractor here says he's been working on your house for a couple of days. How's he doing? Is he doing what he's saying he's going to do? Um, and so kind of some, some old-fashioned uh, detective work that way. But, but certainly check with the state that they're coming from. You know, pull them up online. Check the, you know, it's wonderful. We can find out a lot about a lot of different people by uh, doing a little little internet research, right? That actually brings up a question I have. Uh, I I want to say I saw somewhere in Louisiana where out-of-state contractors coming in had to get some sort of provisional licensing from the contractors board. Am, am I off on that, or and that, if so, have you seen that in other states? That is a wonderful question. That is better suited for another guest. <laughs> well done, sir. I, I could be well wrong. Done. I could be. I could be wrong. It's happened well, before. I, I will follow that hard question with hopefully an easier one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I I, don't, I think we would be remiss if we didn't finish this conversation talking about the government, talking about flood insurance, and then also talking about FEMA. Um, and it may be the same conversation. Um, okay. So let's put to the side insurance for a second. Let's let's put all that to the side for a second. Let's say you are in need of government assistance when, when, when the storm hits, when the catastrophe happens, the flood happens. Okay, what do you need to be thinking about if you're, if you're try, whether you're trying to get bottles of water or a FEMA trailer? What do you need to be thinking about and where do you go to get information about the federal government and assistance? Yeah, so, so again, the NFIP has a great website. And, and again, sorry to speak in acronyms. NFIP is National Flood Insurance Program, which is the FEMA program which is deals with flood insurance and deals with a number of flood related uh, federal grants and programs like that. So there's websites out there. Good. Uh, the, the, you know, local authorities should do a really good job uh, of pointing folks in the right direction. And so uh, if for whatever reason you're not getting uh, a response from FEMA or NFIP program, uh, reach out. Look, after, after the floods here, uh, we had, 
a number of congressmen and congress ladies who did a wonderful job with their constituents. And we had clients that we had problems with, and they reached out to their representatives, and they got things moving for us. And so, um, you know, I think there are a lot of resources for folks. Look look for those, and and, um, and look, if, if you can't find one, then, then call a lawyer, right? I think the, the common concern is we live in a Wikipedia world to where if you start Googling stuff, you know, Am I going to end up on a reputable, you know, NFIP site? Right. Or am I going to end up on a site that's saying stuff that just may not be patently true? Look for a .gov extension. Yeah, I mean, please. when in doubt, .gov. Yeah. So let me ask you, Ben. Let's say our listeners want to get in touch with you, an attorney like you, or just you. Um, where would they find information about you? Well, uh, I appreciate the plug. You can go to our website, uh, whaleylaw.com. Uh, you can call me, 225-302-8810, uh, or you can email me, ben at whaleylaw.com. Well, I, I certainly encourage anybody um, that has questions about insurance, about disaster relief, any of those things, heaven forbid they need to use you, but if they're going to use an attorney, I, I certainly would recommend you, Ben. That's about it for this episode of Legally Unfiltered. We've been with Ben Damp. It's attorney Franz Borkart along with attorney Richard Sprinkle. Have a great day, and hopefully you won't ever need to use any of these services. Thanks for having me, guys. The views and opinions expressed in Legally Unfiltered do not constitute legal advice. If you would like legal advice on the topics that we've discussed, send us money. That's right. Go ahead and retain us. Do not, kids, try this at home.